This is producer Rachel with a warning that the pod you are about to hear contains some, as Arlo White would say, fruity language. To the pod. Here comes the magic spray. Let's do it live! (laughs) We'll do it live! New York City! Welcome to Men in Blazers Viking Funeral for US Soccer! We come together to mourn We come together to share. We come together to send our World Cup 2018 dreams of glory off on a longboat, shoot flaming arrows at it, and watch it sail towards Valhalla. I think Mick's the discaroo place for Valhalla yeah, right good, now. Uh, good they're, they're in the Tipperlogan, yeah, David. They're, they're mid-table, but they're doing well. It's just football, Rog. I've had to say this so many times to Rog over the last... 31 days, it's just football. Calm down, there could be worse things. What? You could be an Everton fan. <laughs> Two points outside the relegation zone, 11.38 into the season, that does not reduce. <sighs> We're just four points off Brighton in eight. Look, the honest truth is, and I keep telling myself this, the last time the US did not make the World Cup, in 1985, Paul Carr told me, Everton won the title that season. It's not going to happen this year. I knew it, because I've not felt my legs since August, David. (laughs) Which is why tonight is so important to me, to be surrounded by so many GFOPs who've travelled across the country to be with us. Trevor Jetmer, are you here? Yeah. Hey! Trevor Gemma flew all the way from San Francisco to be here tonight. Yes, Trevor! He didn't know Ben and Blazers were going to be on. He just loves Guinness and pies. There's GFOPs here from all across the West Coast, Arizona, Colorado, even the nice parts of Soho. And speaking of GFOPs, we want to open this evening's proceedings with a raven from one GFOP Andy Beanstock, who wrote a tribute to Gramercy Theatre, our fine venue tonight. Dave I have never seen this before. I will be cold reading it in pure podcast style. <laughs> Andy writes, back in the last century, before the Flatiron District knew it had a name, the Gramercy Theatre was my local movie house. <laughs> it was there, here, most memorably, that I saw the Poseidon Adventure when I was a child. I write this because I believe the Poseidon Adventure is perhaps the most apt metaphor for the hoax of our national soccer team. (laughs) A capsized hulk drifting listlessly, while Captain Galati stands upside down on the bridge, spinning the wheel madly and calling for more steam. I propose that Rog be our Gene Hackman, leading us through danger as we climb up to the bottom, to the sweet rescue of the morning after and our inevitable hosting of the World Cup at the LA Coliseum 
in the summer of 2026. I apologise, that was a poor cold read. It was meant to be hoisting of the World Cup at the LA Coliseum in the summer of 2026. We'll, we'll take hosting. We'll take hosting. We'll edit that. That's JW, let's edit that. I do realise that Gene Hackman dies in the film. <laughs> I thought it was a good idea. But perhaps we could rewrite that part, though, knowing Rog, he might like martyrdom. Signed, oh, Andy man. Beanstalk. Thank you. I gotta tell you, when I watched the Poseidon Adventure 86, <laughs> it was a thinly veiled parable for the 2000 and. What year are we in? 17. 17 US uh, Adventure World Cup Hex experience. Even then, when I watched it in Liverpool, it was a prediction of the future. And I wanna tell you, I wanna raise this Guinness to you. My first Guinness of the night. Let's hear it. Because it's just hit me. I, I embrace for this sad nap that we've only all just begun together. We're not even in the REM stage yet. And despite your urging that this is just a game, this American carnage, Davo, it's truly, truly impacted me. I mean, I feel sadder. I feel sadder right now than Sunil Gulati when he found out that there's no bloody NIT version of the World Cup. I mean, WTF. Not there could be, Rog, but there is no alternative facts World Cup anniversario edition. Not yet, but if Sunil runs for another term, you never know. Tonight, our goal is to drink a lot of Guinness. Responsibly, responsibly, responsibly. And, and to drink a lot of Guinness. Responsibly, responsibly. And to proactively work through the five stages of grief together in the company of GFOPs. I want to move from denial. I want to be at the anger stage. You love denial. I love anger. <laughs> and sadness. Oh, I love depression. I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. I believe by the end of this evening, we're all, all of us here, guaranteed to come out in a positive place. <laughs> and I realise, once I say that, David, that's far fetched. That's so unlike you. <laughs> Responsibly. <laughs> but. The thing that makes me saddest, I just want to say that out front and publicly, other than the fact that we're going to totally blow an opportunity to grow the game we love and the country we love even more in 2018. Keep it up, keep it up. <laughs> the thing that pisses me off the most is the loss of collective memory that we've developed together in America. World Cup to World Cup, both good moments, challenging moments. I take challenging moments right now because together, and you agree with me, World yeah. Cups, with America in them, they form the spine of our lives. Yeah, we've seen them all, Rog. Little known fact, you and I met back in 1930, sailing <laughs> down to Uruguay with the kids, the US team on the SS Monago. Gave them a couple of hints. To watch our American boys march right into the semi-finals. We don't make enough of this achievement Sorry, in this country. Sorry, semi-bloody finals! Semi-finals of the World Cup. Amazing. Mate, I you guys are taking the semi-finals of the World Cup for granted. I find that astonishing. <laughs> Jumping forward a little bit, let's just go to the watershed year. 1994. <laughs> Our mostly amateur team and most of the players, unbelievably, had never played a minute of club football before they took the field, swaggered onto that field, ginger of hair, Frosted all of denim them. of Jersey, all of them. All of them. 
And they shocked the world by doing this to Colombia. I was there. Sorber ever steady. And Dooley in the middle. Ronaldo will send it near side to Chad Ramos. This is good possession here. Ramos ball to a vertical run. I love it. Score! Oh, that build-up play. It's like watching Manchester City. Bloody hell. <laughs> this season. This season. Uh, 2002, Rog. Youth, vigour, enthusiasm, shocking Portugal, destroying Mexico, and only just falling to Germany in the quarters. It was handball. To leave with heads held high. Let's skip 2006, right? <laughs> it's a bit of a bummer. They were good against Italy. The worst part of 2006 was that Devo and I met at the end of the World Cup and we started Men in Blazers. We're sorry. <laughs> we're sorry. I'm sorry. That was pallid <laughs> clapping. <laughs> that was, by the way, that was fishing for compliments. And we started just... Men in Blazers! <laughs> oh, Save for 2010 instead. Let me take you to Algeria. I sound like George Michael. Let me take you Algeria, 91st minute, cue national euphoria, and a knighthood for Syrian dark. To Guardiola, who plays it deep side, with a header. Howard gratefully claims it. Distribution, brilliant. Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey's denied again. I feel like we're attending Lanadon Donovan's soccer theme bar mitzvah. <laughs> it's like the night he became a man. <laughs> oh, go, go, USA. And then, Rog, 2014, against a foe that has always broken US hearts. Ghana, young John Brooks was a great American that night in the 86th minute in Natal. Steaming the to take it. Let's Hysteria. And for a fleeting moment, everything felt possible. Good, Fabian, good! <laughs> Until it wasn't possible, Rog. <laughs> that is the whole theme of this evening, sir. <laughs> sort of, we, we've got to address it at some point on a show called What the Fuck Happened. <laughs> Because if one thing is for sure, the only thing that we know that is objectively true, there'll be none of this in 2018. No shared memories, no thrilling moments, no searing pain, which I like more. Right, Arsenal fans? No ballads written to random German-Americans. Just the numbing, nagging realisation that all of us are in American soccer's 
upside down. <laughs> and in the most un-American way possible, which really is true, we're unable to even compete, which we can't quite compute yet. It's why it's sticking in our... If we're English, we'd be like, all right, we didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you go, Just can't. like 74, 78, 94, we haven't made it again. Right, right now, all of us are in... We can't still believe that it happened. And yet, it did happen, Rog. And it is upon all of us here to admit that and begin to process it, especially you. In this last hex, the United States came fifth out of six teams. Our boys did concede the first goal five times in ten games. We not only lost our first home qualifier since 2002, we lost two home games in a qualifying cycle for the first time since 1957. The mission, it seemed it had been accomplished after spanking Panama deliriously in Jam Lando. Yet somehow, on that final doomed night, the nation that put a man on the moon and a Starbucks on every corner, on every street in the globe. When all the US needed was a draw, a single point. Against Trinidad and Tobago, a team ranked 99th in the world. Without Tobago, they might have been 88. There would have been 107. <laughs> A team that had won just a single game in the hex coming into the match to go through to Russia. Suddenly, the US was so very, very conquer <laughs> Listening to that, Davo, I know everyone here is thinking the same thing. It's all my fault <laughs> for applying for American citizenship. I am Jonah. I made the waves rise up and I'm now in the belly of the whale. But like Jonah, I'm a man of action, or at least of token gestures. That's <laughs> true. And here's what I want to do tonight. Okay, go. If it's okay with you all, is it okay with you all? He hasn't said what he's gonna do yet. You guys need to read the papers more. I'm gonna invite two of our favorite football minds to the stage. We're gonna talk through the big questions. TNT, WTF, and the other question, how the son of Galati did this happen? <laughs> and we're going to dig into the short-term impacts and the long-term impacts. And I hope, most positively, what constructive lessons can we take from the errors of the past cycle? How can we build a wonderful, truly competitive, hopefully triumphant future? That's my focus for the next hour, David. Yeah, we want tonight to be constructive as we take a forensic deep dive into not just this US team, but the system, culture, and circumstances that surround it. To help, let's bring our US men's national team, Small Council. Small Council convene! Onto the stage. Let's do it, Roger. Our guest today, two men who combined have donned the US jersey through three decades. They've been torchbearers of the American game, not just here on these shores in MLS, but as ambassadors abroad. Julian Green. No. <laughs> Plying their trade in Serie A and uh, Liga MX, respectively. Since retiring, they've both gone on to lead the phalanx of American football, soccer broadcasters, with one of them even finding time to release one of the most underrated albums of 2016. <laughs> 
We welcome to the stage two GFOPs and American soccer heroes, Fox Sports' Alexi Lalas and ESPN's Hercules Gomez! <laughs> Oh, guys, this is the official World Cup ball released today by Adidas. It's the Telstar. Oh, it's a, that's it's a beautiful. Good looking, that's a good-looking football. Can, Alexi, can I give this to you? Can, yes. you? can you just kick this off stage? It's the only time an American international is going to kick this soccer ball. Yeah. Watch it. Oh, that's, that's nice contact. There was only a little bit of shin on that one. Oh, oh no, just a little Where bit, just a, just a little bit of shin. Marcelo Balboa taught him that. Gents, thank you for joining us. So By the way, when Alexi walked in tonight, Roger immediately went up to him and said, oh, Marcelo Balboa. That's how he greeted him. I always get confused. Everyone looks like a ginger to us non-gingers. Is my chair supposed to be this small? <laughs> Welcome to the children's table. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, can I just say, serious stuff, here's the challenge that lies ahead. We sit here, the four of us, like medical examiners, poking and prodding at the US men's national team corpse that sits on the mortuary slab before us. And as I look at it, all I can think of is Francis Ford Coppola's quote about Apocalypse Now. He said, there were too many of us, we had access to too much money, too much equipment, and little by little, we went insane. Tonight is where we're going to break down US soccer's little by little. Right, David? It is. But let's start with the macro. First off, Alexi, yes, where were you 31 nights ago? It's 31 nights ago when the US were playing in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, okay, so I was, where was I? I was in Los Angeles. I was at a bar. We, we uh, as a lot of people did, we kind of organized a little outing, thinking it was going to be a, <laughs> a celebration. Um, it was in uh, Los Angeles at this bar down in Manhattan Beach. Uh, I was, we were telling earlier, we had a, a guy in the corner with a, a laptop that was there to give us periodic updates about what was going on, because yeah. everybody knows that things were happening in different games, and so throughout the night, it was you know, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, and then some scores started to come in, and it was still, ah, it's going to be thumbs up, don't worry, we're going to back in, everything's going to be fine, and then that moment came in the night that I'm sure a lot of you experienced where he turned and said, shit, we are not going to the World Cup, and it went dead silent, and from that point on, I don't remember much. Uh, I was telling you earlier, I, I woke up the next, because I went right to tequila once the final whistle blew, and I woke up the next morning, and I, honest to God, I had pictures of myself at various points in Manhattan Beach that I don't remember ever taking. I walked home all alone in a huff. And that happens to me every time I go to Manhattan <laughs> Beach. So, so that was it, that was that, was that night. But it's not, nice to know you had your cell phone because I was monitoring you. I gotta admit that I, I was very worried about you that night and you were, you were off the Twitter. Yes, I, I decided not to tweet that. Probably <laughs> uh, smart. Hercules, where were you? Well, I was uh, in Bristol at ESPN, and I recall having dinner with my wife because I had to stick around for, for a hit. Um, 
ESPN Nacion, and that was going to watch the game. And afterwards, Max Bredos and I, we have a podcast together. We were going to do this podcast. So I come back from dinner with my wife. podcast. <laughs> yes. <Go>. To Russia! <laughs> podcast. It was going to be called, we did it, we're going to Russia. But it didn't happen. Um, and I'm watching... Like Carter Page. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a desk-like environment, you know, at ESPN. And I'm at my cubicle, and I'm watching the game, and I hear these loud yells and, and cheering coming from the green room. So I start making my way to the green room because on our level, I thought it was just me. And I noticed it's Shaka Hislop. <laughs> you watched the game with Shaka Hislop? So I watched the game with Shaka Hislop. Sorry, is... sorry, for those of you who don't know Shaka Trinidad and Tobago International <laughs> Shaka Hislop. Yes. We watched the game together and he's cheering and, and he's so invested in this game. And you know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, I can't believe they're going to lose this game. And then it starts dawning on me, wait, Honduras is winning. Panama just scored. And I said, Shaka, Panama just scored. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaka, Panama just scored. <laughs> what? <laughs> and that's where we were. So you've had 31 days. You've both had reactions. You've both been on television. You've been on, on so podcasts. You've been on radio. Days. You've been speaking about it. You went on every Sean Fox, Alexa. You had to, you were sort of having to explain the case to all of those guys. You were very good on Bill O'Reilly, show. <laughs> <laughs> but... You've now had 31 days to process, and we're going to go in detail through every single element. Believe me, Roger's written the script. We're going through every single little element. But just broadly, 60 seconds now, when people ask you the title of tonight's show, what the F happened, how do you answer it in 60 seconds, Alexi Lalas? In 60 seconds. Um, I often talk about the fact that a national team is not the best collection uh, uh, it's not the best players, but it's the best collection of players. And I think ultimately when you look at the collection of players uh, that was assembled, uh, whether it was at the time when Jurgen Klinsmann had him or when the time that uh, Bruce Serena had him, uh, while it was a bunch of talented individuals, it was a bad team. And I think that time and time again they proved, proved it, and most importantly, at the time when they most needed to be a team, they weren't. And individually, they can go on and be incredible and be in other teams where they are a collection of their parts. But in this moment, uh, I just think it was a bad collection of team. I don't think that it was, and we'll talk about this more, I don't think it was the system. Uh, I think it's an excuse, uh, and I think it's a lame excuse to blame anything but the players uh, and obviously the coach that picks the players. So or to coaches. Surmise, to surmise, no Frankie Hager. That was the problem. Yeah, no goose. Yeah, no Hager. Yeah. Where was Trundle when we needed him? Yeah. Very, very true. Her. Her. 60 seconds. You know, I will say it was an accumulation of those things. I think just putting the onus on the players is very unjust to the people who had the decision making, who made the wrong decisions. And, and, and you know how difficult it is to play a hex, to go on the road, play these games. It was accumula accumulation of losing the first two games. Your first, I mean, it was Mexico at home, and then it was. Costa Rica, in Costa Rica, two very difficult places to play. So you're immediately behind the eight ball, and it snowballs, and it becomes mentally, it mounts, and it becomes more difficult than it should be. And then you were right. The collection of players were very good individual players. As you and I have said, this is the most talented generation of players. But it doesn't mean that we're a very good team. And when you're not a good team, and you keep going forward through this process, if you don't do the right things, you're not going to win. And it's very arrogant of us to think that with the talent that you have alone, you're going to get by and beat these type of teams. And Trinidad, credit to them, 
they beat us. They, they played better than the U.S. on that day. It's one of those things where if you don't take care of business, but not just on the field, off of it, it'll mount. And for me, it was incredibly frustrating. The next day, I have to go to, to ESPN, and I'm on from 9 a.m. to about 7 p.m. Every hour on the hour, I'm in Latin America, and I'm the face for what happened with the U.S. So it was an incredibly frustrating day, but it made me realize this goes beyond just that one night. Quick follow-up question before we get into detail. Have your feelings about what happened evolved over the last 31 days, or have they remained pretty much exactly the same? For me, they've remained the same. They're going to evolve tonight, Alexi. <laughs> dive on it. But I know, but I know I'm, 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 there are plenty of opinions out there. I mean, just the smattering of applause. It was a, not even a smattering of applause when, when, when I said the thing. So I recognize there's a lot of different opinions there. But that in itself is a good thing. You know, yes. as, as depressed as, as, we, as we are, the fact that we're having these conversations, all of that is a good thing. The smattering of applause was from Sunil Galati, who is at the back. <laughs> okay, you did both Sunil. mention... You did both mention the manager, you, you talked about who picked the players, and we're going to start right at the top, and our first chapter tonight, the leadership. And the man who started this campaign cycle Sorry, as US men's national team manager, Jurgen Klinsmann. He'd been at the helm since 2011, leading the US out of the group of death in Brazil. But in the first two Hex games last November, a Dosa Uno home defeat to Mexico and Columbus and a 4-0 battering away to Costa Rica. His team fell woefully short. Herc and Alexi, how do you remember Alexi? How do you remember <laughs> Jürgen now? How do you think of him now? And if you were to etch his tombstone, what would you write? <laughs> As I said, Rog wrote the you script. Wrote all this, huh? Yeah. I don't really want to start on that one, but... <laughs> You okay, forget about <laughs> Okay, Rog, Rog, will, Rog will etch his tombstone. The legacy. How's he? Legacy. legacy. What do you think, Jürgen? What is his legacy? How do you remember him now? Tombstone. Uh, it would have to be unfulfilled because he came in and he said he was going to revolutionize the program. You were going to see a progression. You are going to see this new, new age footballing nation come to fruition. And that wasn't seen. So it had to be incomplete, if you're asking me. I, I, I would 100% agree in that there was, uh, there was a, vision, a vision. I've always, I've always said that I'd, I'd rather have someone with a flawed plan than no plan at all. And I do believe that he had a plan and a vision to provide us with something we hadn't seen before. And in doing so, to be, to use his word, more uh, proactive, progressive, whatever you want to call it. And I think that it's fair to hold him to that standard. I don't think that he lived up to it. I think oftentimes, uh, we were just another version of ourselves, sometimes a better version of ourselves, but I think in doing, in, in doing that, oftentimes we fail to be the best version of ourselves. And I think uh, that they should have made a change after the 2014 World Cup. I don't think multiple cycles is good. I think if they had done that, he would have been able to go and we could have said, thank you very much, you're leaving it in a better position, you are a, to a certain extent a caretaker, and he did no harm, and he made us either ask questions that we hadn't been asked before, um, uh, or, or just, just ask questions uh, of ourselves and others, and I think that, that's all a good thing. But I also don't believe that, and I said at the time, that a change necessarily needed to happen after the, the first two losses. I still think they would have gone on and qualified, but if you were going to make a change, I was disappointed that change wasn't made in 2014 after the World Cup. I mean, the honest truth is, when you say that, the odd part of this is that we was awarded a new contract before the World Cup and given expanded power. That's Sunil. I mean, Sunil. Sunil's gone to the bathroom uh, when we put the word leadership up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, 
I do, I do want to say, to me, Jurgen was a visionary whose vision was rejected by US soccer, like a donor organ rejected by a host body. And we, and we still don't know, to this day, we still don't know if the questions that he asked were the right ones, but just coming out of the wrong mouth. I mean, it was a big picture wonder, not top 10 in kind of game day tacticians. Should possibly have run US soccer, but we'll talk about whether the questions he asked are ultimately the right ones if they come from other places. What I'm interested in, in a quick lightning round question, how much of this US failure, which we're now wallowing in, was ultimately Jurgen's fault? I and mean, if you were to proportion blame percentage-wise, and we just want a number, no qualifiers, how much is Jurgen? So you want a percentage between Bruce Serena and Jurgen Klinsmann? Between one and a hundred. Okay, no, so... No, he's not measuring a... He's just saying a percentage of how much fault, fault to put goes to, to Jurgen. Right. And not assuming that all the rest of it goes to Bruce, but how much... Who the hell else is it going to go to? Yeah, but they're, they're Roger's question. I'm just, I'm just explaining the question. All right, so... So... It's beautiful. It's so glorious. Sweet nectar. What percentage... All right, so the blame. So first off, so Alexi, we'll you can't you can't say pie because I, can't I say know pie. I follow you on Twitter. So there's ten okay. games. Okay. There's ten games. They, uh, uh, he lost the first two, so yeah. um, I would say it's it's eighty ten, um, but it's, uh, 80, 20? 20? <laughs> I would say it's eighty ten. Nobody else. <laughs> my, my urine sample here. Hold on. Uh, yeah. So uh, I would put it at let's say it's forty um, percent because. Bruce, to, to his credit, had to come into an already difficult situation. Yeah, lose the but first only, two games, yeah, that's kind of... only two games, yeah. you know? I mean, so it's not as if it was completely dire. So you're saying 20% or so 40%? I'm saying 60-40. I'm saying it was 40% uh, Jurgen Klinsmann and 60% Bruce Arena. Mm. In terms of the management pie chart of the fault being just with the managers. Yeah, yes. that was what okay. I said, right? Uh, no, I got it, I got it. <laughs> Slightly different question, but I like it. So it only has to lie within the managers. Janiel can't yes. be in this. Well, no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm, it, I'm going to give it a 33%. Oh, 33%. Okay. Yes. To Jurgen, because then the other 33% would go to Bruce, and the other 33 point whatever is left would go on to Sunil, who's in the audience right now. Oh. Can I just ask one follow-up, Alexi? Because you, you said something that you and I have spoken a few times about before, about the best version of themselves, their mm -hmm. best selves. Sure. Just expand upon that, because you've had a feeling about like what is American, sure. like the American way to play soccer. Right. Uh, so our, our size and our diversity is what makes, in my opinion, what makes our country great. But also when, that's an easy one, right? Yeah. But it also, uh, what makes a country great uh, can at times challenge people trying to make a soccer team. And it, all, it is also our biggest challenge because uh, with the size comes this incredible diversity of thought and how we think about the game. And so if you ask 100 people across the country, what's the beautiful game? Uh, you're going to get 100 different answers in our country. And there's, so there's no collective understanding necessarily of what we are. Now over the years, the United States has played in a certain way. Yeah. Right? It's not... Certainly not what we, what we associate with expansive, uh, romantic type of play. But it's worked for us, okay? And so 
do we say, in order to be good, and when we say be good, win the World Cup or compete to win the World Cup, do we have to be something completely different? Or can we just be the best possible version in the world of that? Are you saying, give me Kyle Beckerman or give me death? Basically, basically. <laughs> Why you're, you're a writer. But Alexi, you're saying it's been good to us. I, I, good I, to us. When's the last time the U.S. has won more than a game in the World Cup? I don't know. You, let me know. I, don't, I can't think of it. 1930. How quickly we forget. 2002, right? You know, I, I, think, I think we're going to play. Can I just ask one quick question? This is aimed at backstage. Whatever Alexi was drinking, he most certainly needs another one. <laughs> And then it's secondly, like a shot of Chardonnay. I, say, I, I, do th I do think I do think what happened. Yeah, I'll drink Chardonnay. I think, Hell yeah! You, you want to fight? Yeah. I will fight you over Chardonnay. There we go, relax, Rachel. Relax, relax. Very good, thanks, Rachel. Can we hear it for Rachel? Yeah. You on the Men and Blazers team? Chardonnay or the Houston of wines? So <laughs> I was an MLS player, right, Wilma? Um, so. Edit that out, J-dubs. Yeah. Um, so the reality is what we're grappling with is what worked in the past, which you're talking about, will that arm us for success in the future, which I think is the central dance that we're going to talk yeah. about for the, uh, the next, next time. I do want to kind of buckle this up, the past, though, by finishing up Bruce. I mean, he's the man. I mean, when it had Bruce, Return of the Dragon Arena... I do think about the past. I think about the proud, swashbuckling 2002 team. If anyone watched it here, it was sensational. Blowing Portugal out of the water, beating Amazing. Mexico, running into the quarterfinals. Amazing. An astonishing feat. The MLS achievements, astonishing, unparalleled, remarkable. But this is 2017, and his US team the 2000 loss against Costa Rica in Harrison, New Jersey, the 85th minute scrapped together draw in Honduras, the deceitful, emotionally battering of Panama in Jamlando on that Friday night. Oh my God, when it felt job done, we're gonna rush up. And then the meek surrender in Trinidad and Tobago. It's a tough question, it's a tough question because we love Bruce. Do we love Bruce here? Oh my god. The only person who clapped them was Siggy Schmidt. It was Siggy. Um, we do love Bruce. He is the greatest American coach, bar David Wagner, who keeps falsely claiming. He keeps falsely claiming that he's actually German. But was this a case of a coach who, a bit like Louis van Gaal at United, who was once great in the past, in the first decade of the 2000s, and had been outrun by a step, by the world, by the CONCACAF world around him, hurt? I think it is a case of a coach who, who the rest of the region uh, outgrew him. I think the most frustrating thing for me with Bruce this go around was the arrogance in Nobody can, nobody can question what I'm doing. Uh, you, you will see, you know, everybody thinks they're smart in this room. You will see how it goes. That arrogance, uh, I think there came a point where the rest of the region, they were no longer afraid or respect the U.S. men's national team like they did in the past. Uh, everybody knew that but Bruce. And Bruce thought it would be okay. He didn't need to make these wholesale changes. He didn't need to, to, to try to try to do anything different. His way of doing things in the past was gonna be all right this go around. And that was the most frustrating thing for me. Yeah, I, I don't know what 
uh, so Bruce Arena's persona is part of what we love about him. Okay, so when he gets up there and he says these things, how does it ultimately manifest in 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 a negative way on the field? So what things? When he's when the arrogance that that Herc is alluding to, that's that's who Bruce Arena is. That's why I am hiring Bruce Arena. To be quite honest with you, so I don't want a different Bruce Arena. I don't want a contrite and humble uh, and, uh, Bruce Arena with humility. That's not that's not what for me Bruce Arena ever has been nor should be about. But ultimately, if that is a problem, and if that, if that did pose challenges, how did it manifest actually on the field? I mean, what, what players did you want to see? And if you don't like Bruce Arena as the right pick at that moment, who would you have said could come in after those first two games that would have done a better job and maybe not had this... No. Uh, and for the record, I was for Bruce Arena. I mean, he was a quick fix. I think everybody saw Bruce Arena and said, this is exactly the man who needs to lead us to get to the World Cup, we're in a predicament, and I don't think anybody questioned that. He wasn't by any means gonna be the sexy pick. But is he the man, was he the man or not then? Yes, absolutely, at that point he was. But, but then somehow he became arrogant through the next eight games, and that's what led to the demise? Yeah, I think it's the first time you've seen him in this predicament with the US Men's Nash team, in the hex and whatnot, and that, that showed him coming out, him and his responses, and how he dealt with things, and that made it difficult. The first time you take a punch on the chin, that's when you really see the metal of a fighter. I've got to ask you, that TNT game, when the panic was setting in and he was unable to create any kind of tactical change on the field, what did you see? Because to me, I was like, he's brilliant, he's our saviour, Bruce is the best we've created. But it was like watching a captain on a ship that was sinking just be like, yep, yeah, we're taking on water, let's go down, all hands on deck. It's one of those things where there's very little the coach can do at that time. I saw a team that was shell-shocked. I saw players that went through emotional paralysis that all of a sudden weren't accustomed to that moment and their muscles, their legs weren't responding to what their head wanted to do. I don't think Bruce could have done anything at that exact moment once that lineup was in, once that first goal went in on the own goal, the Omar Gonzalez goal, once that second wonder goal from 40 yards went in, it was beyond Bruce's control. It was up to those players on that field on that day. Yes, I saw exactly what I, what I feared and when I was screaming and yelling and, and this is a little bit more intimate and, and stuff and when I'm, when I'm on television, obviously as, as Herc will attest to. You just make shit up. Right, exactly, you just make shit up. <laughs> and basically what, whatever you know, will resonate with the viewer. But, but where that was born of was ultimately I thought perfectly uh, crystallized in that moment in that this was a group of players uh, who ultimately were lacking in personality, in character, and leadership. Individually, they could have that, but when they got all together, it was a collection of players that just didn't fit because they didn't have those attributes at the most important time. We'll get to that. And players. a collection of players, which we'll get to, but staying on the manager thing, who were very happy to see Bruce Arena come in and lead them. It'd been very a lot of rumors, being very critical of the training techniques, the, the way they've been managed. The players are a pain in the ass. So of course they're gonna, because Bruce is gonna come in, he's gonna let them go out to dinner, he's gonna let them, as you know, Bruce, Bruce, or any coach that comes in, he's gonna say, this is what was happening. And Jurgen was a, a taskmaster, and it was, it was problems, and, and he was making sure that everybody was dressed, all that kind of stuff. And Bruce came in and said, you do whatever the hell you want, you're all professionals, you're all adults, you're men, you, you, you figure it out, and then I want you to perform on the day. And that, that only lasts so long. <laughs> Until and, the day. Exactly. <laughs>
And then you're still missing German accents. Uh, so Bruce, arrived, Bruce resigned, fell on the sword, saying, we came up short, no excuses, we didn't get the job done, and I accept responsibility. So, big question. Did you believe him? <laughs> you know, uh, I think that he's the first part of that. We came up short, no excuses. Like, soccer is a bottom line sport. I think you wrote that soccer, it's not what you deserve. You get what you take out of the game. And his team didn't take out of the game. And I think he's the kind of guy who would say the same thing. Um, I think that the idea that Bruce feels 100% responsibility, I don't think he does feel 100% responsibility. So I think- That's Bruce I Arena, of course not. Yes, but I think I accept responsibility. That didn't seem exactly uh, completely genuine. But I do think it's the kind of thing that the manager should say in a press conference when your team doesn't qualify for the World Cup. But here's the big question for you, Alexa. You asked me a hard question. Who should be the next manager of the US Women's national team, Alexi? Yeah. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> look, Tab, Bora, let's say... Look, somebody say Bora? I By the way, can I just say, Sam Allardyce is sitting by the bar. <laughs> Did you hear him today? Yeah, and he just shouted out Tata Martinez. Did you hear him today like talking about the national? He was like, ah, go in, it's 10 games, I get to live in the US, we'll kind of hang out, it's not pressure or anything like that, I'll live wherever they tell me to live. Oh, yeah, he doesn't know we don't make pies in the US. Whatever, whatever. Um, Alexei. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I don't have a preference as to being, uh, you have to be American, um, really doesn't matter to me. I think you do have to have a fundamental understanding of what this country is, and more importantly, what this country is relative to soccer, and have an understanding of the history and the depth uh, and the complexities that are involved in it. All I care about is that ultimately somebody comes in and is able to articulate both uh, privately and publicly exactly how they want to go about doing this. I want the ability to individually talk about players and collectively how we are going to play and come hell or high water, that is what we're going to do. And guess what, when we do it, there are going to be some very good players that just don't fit into it. And that's okay. We've tried to be everything to everybody for so long. And I think in a country our size, with once again, with the diversity that we have, it's very, very difficult to do. And I think that whether that's a Tab Ramos, whether that's a Peter Vermes, or anybody else, it really doesn't matter to me as long as that person is able to articulate that. And I don't even have to agree with it. I, I could, once again, just say, this is what we're going to do. And guess what? Players, you're going to have to adapt to what that, ultimately, that template actually looks like. And if you don't, fine, you could be one, a great player, but nothing scares us more than unrealized talent or, or unfulfilled talent or talent that we don't give a position to. But it's, it's okay, in order for us to go forward, I think sometimes, like as I said, we are trying to be everything to everybody, and I think it's a waste of time and resources going forward. Come on, Alexi, give us a name. Give us a name, Alexi. Peter Vermes. Peter Vermes, there we go. I thought you were going to say Eric Ronaldo, but Peter Vermes it is. He's got bigger things. To <laughs> I'll give you a name. Uh, Tata Martino. And the reason I will say Tata Martino is... Well, give, me a, give me a chance. The reason I will say Tata Martino is... Here's a guy who's you had success. You just say it so well. I just love the way you say the it. The guy's success, club level, national team level, multiple national teams. Now, we don't have the type of player that an Argentina or a Spain or any of these other countries like Brazil will have. We're not that type of player yet. But we do have the type of player. Christian's not there either. 
We don't, okay, he's a very good player, but he's not going to play in Dirty. Brazil. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Love him. But we do have the type of players that a Paraguay national team has, and he did wonders with the Paraguay national team. He understands the American athlete already, the American player. He's got a good understanding of what Major League Soccer is already. And he's a, he's a household name within the soccer community, so I would go for Tata Martino. I mean, it's such a weird job to be an international manager. You have to be able to summon the best out of players when you only really have them for three days at a time, and then they're with the club. They're not really, you don't really have the influence that we project on them. But that's why, for me, we can talk about the coach all we want. If they're going to actually have a technical director, for me, that's a much more important I was going to say, is who manages the team, because they have the manager, we like to project glory upon them. The reality is they have them for three days. Please, God, let them understand the American ecosystem because it's so jerry-rigged. They need to understand. So Tata Martino is a phenomenal idea. They need to understand the American game. He does. Peter Vermes does. Miguel Herrera. God, I love that man. <laughs> Greg Popovich. He'd be my second choice after Christian Pulisic's mum and dad. But I want to ask you, is who manages the team the most important next decision, or is the person who's tasked with being technical director even more important to our future? That's the one we should be obsessing about. Yeah. I mean, this, this whole technical director, sporting director, uh, director of soccer, whatever you want to do, it all came into vogue over the last 10 years because everybody else was doing it, and we wanted to put it in. I mean, you were around uh, the Galaxy when we were there, and got to have a technical director. But nobody knew what the hell that meant. And if you, if you go ask teams right now what it means, there's many, many different definitions of what that is. But if, if the United States Soccer Federation and Sunil Gulati, who we know uh, uh, has made decisions in the past that we can certainly argue with, you know, it's all right, buddy, I'll talk about you. It's all right, it's okay. Sunil's at the ball. I know, he's at the ball. <laughs> but if we're going to have a technical director, that needs to happen first. I, I, it doesn't make any sense in any situation to have a coach named first, manager, whatever you want to call it, and then a technical director. Because the technical director has to have the vision. And then you go out and find whoever it is, he or she, to implement that vision on those three days or four days that you have. And Coaches will lie to you. Yeah, I can do it, everything. You have to be able to see through their bullshit and say, no, this is a person that understands and can work within this template that I'm laying out, and I feel, I'm, and I'm supportive, and I'm confident that this person is being able to do that on those three and four days, or if it is a week or two weeks, to be able to do that. He's absolutely right. You spoke about needing somebody who has the vision. There's no use in going out and getting a coach if who is responsible for getting that coach isn't part of that vision or share that vision. There has to be a blueprint, a plan going forward. So technical director before a coach, absolutely. Which brings us to Sunil Gulati. Oh, Eric Winald is in the house. I say about Sunil, US soccer's long-serving president Remarkable human being if you look at him in the long ball game. I mean, this guy drove the bus to games in like the 1980s. He was there. He has served his time. He, van. A van. We didn't even have a bloody bus. That's how bad things were. We had a van. It was like a creepy camper van that you like wouldn't want to get into. And then Sunil was driving it. Yeah, Scooby-Doo van. Oh my God. What's his, what was the guy who drove the van called? Fred. Yeah, Sunil Galati is Fred of US Soccer. I mean, he's been a leader of an organization. It's now failed in its mission. To me, 
I think of the US Marine Code of Honor, that a leader is responsible for the action of his subordinates. To me, Sunil has been a remarkable servant for decades within US soccer. Here's what I want to know, if you both were players, internationals, striving, competitive, trying to be your best, if Sunil stays on, doesn't it send a signal to every player, employee, youth player, men's and women's in the United States system that failure's okay, Mediocrity is okay. Keep going. I think it does. I think it not only sends that to everybody involved with U.S. soccer, but the fan base. And right now, there needs to be a sense of belief that this is going somewhere. This is going to be uh, going in a different direction. <laughs> Sunil, we should, we should absolutely thank Sunil for everything he's done. But there comes a time in every leader's life, every leader's career, where you've taken this program as far as you can take it. And I do feel that's where Sunil's at today. Can Sunil still be involved in U.S. soccer at some capacity, in some landscape? Absolutely. But as of right now, going forward for U.S. soccer president, Sunil shouldn't be there. Yeah, I think it signifies to every player that um, you scored goals for us for a number of games and you're our leading goal scorer and you shit the bed in the most important game and yet there's another game coming and I'm still gonna start you. In that I'm told for years that American players lack the, uh, the pressure uh, and the environment and the expectations that others around the world have. So uh, I think regardless of your feelings of when it comes to Sunil, I think we would all agree that there has never been more attention, focus, um, and at a, at a certain point, pressure on the United States Soccer Federation after what happened in Trinidad and Tobago. So I would like to see, uh, if Sunil continues, what a Sunil Gulati looks like where people actually care what the hell he's doing, okay? I would actually like to see Sunil Gulati whose feet are held to the fire. And if Sunil Gulati, because if, if, if your criteria is we didn't make the World Cup, then it's, it's simple. We don't have an argument or any type of discussion here. We didn't make the World Cup, boom, get somebody else in right now. But if your definition and your criteria involves other layers and other things when it comes to being the president of the Soccer Federation, then all of the good stuff that he has is, 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 is viable too. So he's also the president uh, that oversaw uh, the United States winning a World Cup. So if it is just not making the World Cup, and I get it, it's a huge moment, it can be a watershed moment, and for some people, it is only the tip of the iceberg and the things they've been saying for a long time, understand that. But if that's your only criteria, then it's simple. Sunil out and we'll bring somebody, well, somebody Alexi, else what about, what about equal play? What about the Project 2010? We're going to win the World Cup by 2010. Sunil was part of that. What about everything that's happened with FIFA, Chuck Blazer, that Sunil was also involved in? It's, he's not just clean on this. There well, hold are a lot on, of hold on a second. That hold Sunil on. has been a couple of... Right. If we're gonna, so if you know something about Sunil when it comes to Chuck Blazer or no, when it comes no, to no. FIFA, then go ahead and tell everyone. Well, it's either... It's either ignorance or so everybody's, lack everybody's of intelligence. Everybody that's in that room is dirty. No. Everybody that ever met well, Chuck Blazer. Are we talking about FIFA? I met Chuck Blazer. I know Chuck Blazer. Is that a statement or a question? Because to be candid, I mean, it's fascinating to me, whatever, you, whatever the implications are, the US soccer, which is now powerful, we're, we live in a country of 330 million people, and the one bloke has to lead the charge on, I mean, it's like Ryan Seacrest. He's everywhere. He is. He's, our leader, he's our CONCACAF rep, he's going to lead the USA World Cup 2026 bid. And I will say, like I admire Sunil for what he's done. What depresses me is that there's just such a thin bench for US soccer in the bureaucracy. I mean, it depresses me, it really, really does, that there's not more candidates. 
And it does, it feels like US soccer is an organ... When I look at, like, we don't know how did Jürgen receive a contract renewal weeks before the World Cup. We don't know who are the 534 delegates who elect the next president. We don't quite understand it. And it does feel, I'll be candid, US soccer is an organisation. The game has made leaps and bounds in the past 30 years. There's no doubt. It does feel like US soccer is still an organisation designed to live in the shadows when the sport was still a minor one in the 1980s. So notwithstanding the fact that I'm you know, an uh, egotistical, uh, arrogant, narcissistic type of shill when it comes to US soccer, uh, and I'm in Sunil Gulati's back pocket, who would you say should be the president? Or, or, or maybe the question is, who is more qualified than Sunil Gulati? Well, like, like, like I said, all I can say is I find it incredibly depressing that we don't quite know what he does. We don't know what the role is. We don't know what... He, I mean, the reality is we don't know what the role is, so I can't answer the question is what he does. And I think the vagueness, the opaqueness around... The lack him, of transparency. The, the one thing I'll say is I can answer that question, who can do it better, when I understand what he does how he does it, what the expectations and what the goals are. Oh, right, no now, right, right now, we... <laughs> what, are you right, running? Right, That's right, like a candidate answer. No, to be, to be candid, to be candid, we are the only four people not running in this country. <laughs> and secondly, I'll say, I can answer that question only accurately when we know what he does. And what I want is the veil, the thinness, the fog taken away. And then I can answer it. I can tell you, there's a structure that can be put. This is an amazing country. America is a remarkable country, a country of doers. You have two types of team. You have the dream team, the basketball team, where you destroy all comers. You laugh when Charles Barkley elbows an Angolan basketball player in the side of the head, which I've never understood because we're English. We don't understand that. Foreign deaths don't count as much. It just seems. And you have... And <laughs> I think that's a belief of many American sports fans. And fair. It is. Fair. And you have the second kind of winner you have, which is the underdog. You have the miracle on ice. You have the team that is an underdog Rudy. that wins. Rudy! The wins, the wins despite Ed Brickshay was meant to be our Rudy. You, you have the team that wins despite all the odds. And the reality, right now, US soccer fits into neither of those because we just lost. We just failed. You don't know what to do with it. Right now we're in the soccer bubble. Wait till American sports fans, who quite rightly right now don't know that we've even not qualified for the World Cup, find out. We are in for the backlash of all mothers. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and the reality is, the reality is, I can only answer the question about who it should be if I understand what it is, who should do it, whether what is the right whether the current configuration where it seems like one man can make many decisions that we don't know about, Jürgen, have a new contract, whether it should be a process, whether it should be a board. I don't, I, right but, now, but get Rog, rid of the, but the Rog, you're implying that it's behind this veil that, that, that he's hiding all of these decisions that he's making. Well, right? I mean, look, Alexi, I'll take what? you on first and I'll take on Roger. Okay. The, the election I, of a party is more transparent than the election <laughs> of the president of US soccer. It is a... Regardless of, in February, we should have some yeah, sort of smoke thing, thing, right? <laughs> Poop Kyle! Uh, well, yeah, a, he is Roman Catholic. So, it is a... Um, but, but, Rog, there is a... I guarantee 
that if you went deep inside the Brazil Football Association, the Italian Football Association, yeah. you're not going to find like organizations as well run as you know, sort of a Fortune 500 company. Some of the greatest soccer nations in the world have been born of the worst bureaucracies in the history, not just of sports, but of all endeavor. I'm not, I'm not sure that you can equate incredible football with a fantastic bureaucracy. Now, I love this election. I love the fact that we now have more candidates than delegates who are going to vote for the candidates. And the fact that Alexei has self-nominated to be the Robin Roberts who's questioning everybody on what's going on. It's more like the Megyn Kelly. And I think you, oh. I think you yourself, wow. this is getting good. I think you yourself have said that it's a wonderful entertainment. But what are we actually going to learn through this process of the election, Alexi? Because you're, we're, all, we're all following behind. We're hiding behind you <laughs> as you ask these questions of the candidates. We were, we were talking about this earlier. The problem is, is that, well, well first, take, take the Twitter part of it out. But the reality is that I don't know how many of you here actually have a vote. There may be somebody Does there. Does anybody actually, here have a vote? Here? This is not, you're vote? not going to tell us anyway. But if you have a vote, you have a vote. None of us up here have a vote. None of you, most of you out there don't have a vote. And so we talk about these things and I, I, can, I can ask these questions, but I think the visibility because of that night in Trinidad, that changed everything. The visibility uh, is going to lead us to be able to ask these questions. And at some point publicly, people are going to talk about it. I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's a good thing, right? Can I make a proposal? Sure. On this stage, Here in comes. the first quarter of next year, yeah. Like when we know who all the candidates are, we know what's going on. I think we have a debate. Embassy Road, the production company I work at, we, we work on the presidential debates. We've got a debate team. We do a presidential debate here. We invite all the candidates. If they don't show up, you, you don't get equal time. Martin O'Malley. And we put you and some other qualified people. I would love that. I would love that. Welcome, love to have you. I, and we ask the questions <laughs> of the candidates, and we actually find out what it is they're running for, what it is is the job, what they're doing, what they're doing. Yeah. Lester, are you in? Yeah. I love that. I don't like to be the downer, but we're never going to fit them all on this tiny stage <laughs> table. Carl's very small. I oh. <laughs> Well, you mentioned the, the Italian and the Brazilian Federation. I just want a point of information. Sunil is the treasurer of the Italian <laughs> And I don't know what he does on the Brazilian one, but I've seen him in that jersey. Time for our second chapter. Yes, here the we go. The players! Oh, I can't wait. Alexi. Before the last two games. Ooh. I mean, we properly love this. This, for me, is the entertainment highlight of 2017. Can Alexi get another down. drink, please? Before the last two games, you went on a Lalas rant. Let's... That's not Rachel! Let's have a listen to your rant. Dark days indeed, but this is a time for leaders to step up. Uh, and so to the, to, to, to the supposed leaders, I will say this. All right, Tim Howard, Tim, 
The Belgium game ended three years ago. We need you to save the ball now. Jeff Cameron, clean it up or let's get someone who will. Clint Dempsey, yeah, you're a national team legend. Now we need you to be a national team leader. Michael Bradley, the U.S. does not need you to be zen. The U.S. needs you to play better. Josie Altidore, is this really as good as it gets? Because it's still not good enough. Bruce Arena, Bruce, Jurgen Klinsmann lost at home to Mexico. You lost at home to Costa Rica. This is now all on you, not Jurgen. Oh, and by the way, to all the guys that I didn't mention it because you don't even warrant to mention, that includes you too, Wonder Boy. So, what are you guys gonna do? You gonna continue to be a bunch of soft, underperforming, tattooed millionaires? You are a soccer generation that has been given everything. You are a soccer generation who is on the verge of squandering everything. So, now it's time to pay it back. Make us believe again. You don't owe it to yourselves, you owe it to us. And, get off my lawn. And, get off my lawn. Sick burn, bro! She's done it! I like she just told me. That poor co-commentator, Mark Followell. By the way, let me just take a quick poll. How many of you think Alexi Lalas should be the US centre-back at the next serious game that we have? I, I want to see him run for president. We don't. <laughs> we it's interesting uh, watching that now, though, because at the time, when you said can that... Can I just ask you one quick okay, question? Mark Fullerwell, how many games had he commentated on? That was his first time He looked terrified, by the way. Mark was terrified. <laughs> and, we didn't have, and we didn't have rehearsal. Uh, <laughs> so, behind, so, so behind the scenes, um, first off, I, I, we, don't, we, don't, we can't afford a teleprompter, and so I knew that what, oftentimes in these halftime segments, if it's just kind of me ranting and raving, that's not gonna, I knew this was going to obviously have a, a, a desired effect, and so I wanted to make sure I got it right, so I had, it was basically like this, taped to the thing, but that's it's underneath. Work. That's it's how underneath. we work every day. I know, it's underneath <laughs> the lens, so you kind of have to keep looking back at the lens oh, yeah. to make sure, so we yeah. all know that whole, yeah. the whole old thing. Uh, yeah. So there was, there was notes on there, and I wanted to make sure that I, that I got it right. Did, did, you, miss did, you, did you miss anyone? Uh, no, I think I got everybody. Okay. I, I thought long and hard about the Wonder Boy comment, uh, and I put it at the last minute. And then the last thing that I said there about get off my lawn, I put that in at the very last minute to try to at least give a wink and a nod to everybody that I knew, I know that I was looking, even now, here today, I know I look like an old, older generation type of guy, an and old guy, grumpy guy screaming about this uh, stuff like that. But it was, it was it ultimately was, from the heart. It was prescient, too. Can I just tell you? Unfortunately, I did, Mark, I did not want to be. The poor face of Mark Fallowell, the only time I've ever seen that on television is on Mike Myers' face. <laughs> When Kanye West no. said, George Bush don't care about black people. <laughs> David. But at the time, at the time when you said that, you came in, I mean, I, I say you came in for a lot of stick. I think you quite like a lot of stick. Yeah. Alexi, you enjoy it. I'm a performer and I'm an entertainer. It doesn't mean that what I say isn't genuine, authentic, uh, and honest. So. But it's interesting, looking at it, I'm sure many people in this room, when you originally said that, were a little bit outraged about what you said now, through the optics of seeing the Trinidad and Tobago game, probably a little bit different, that it, Maybe. That it goes there. Maybe not, I think, I think there's certainly some people, whether it's the people that actually I called out, uh, or their fathers, or, or anybody out there, um, I think they probably thought that it went over the line. Uh, it probably did to a certain extent. If I had to do it over, there's some things I probably would have judged. <laughs> 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 Go for, but, 
Judge. Judge. You're a very good manager. Lads, just go out and judge the ball. But it is very rare in sports, and this is where um, I... I mean, I don't feel a need to defend you. You're a a large man. You can defend yourself. But I did find myself defending you quite a lot because I find it crazy in sports how rarely players are called to task for what is ultimately their responsibility on a field of play. And even more more rarely in soccer. No, and in all sports. We tend to blame the coach, the manager, the administrator, everything. It's so rare that the players are actually called out. And I I thought it was... uh, Which is a nice segue to a little game that you want to play, David. Oh, I love games. I love games. Loves games. I love games. Uh, so, Kane, um, I'm going to give you each two paddles. Do you have the paddles, Roger? No, they're, they're by your chair, guys. From my own. Oh, yeah, you've got paddles. Find your paddles. Down by the side the of your... On one side, it is red. On the other side, it is green. These look like sort of... <laughs> these look like... But we judge these props. <laughs> we judge them. These are like ping-pong paddles in those, that, that jail you drive past on the way to the airport. So for those of you listening at home who can't see this, there's unbelievably expensive paddles handed to her <laughs> and Gomez. They're made of gold. Yeah. And on one side, Davo provided them from his home. They're made of diamonds. <laughs> and that is as if they were red, yeah. which means no, no, no. And the other side, they're platinum coated as if they're green, Julian green. And that means yes, yes, yes. So red is no, no, no. Green, yes, yes. Okay, I'm gonna read the name of a US international, okay? If you believe they should have played their last game for the US, if you believe that they should never play again, hold up your red paddle. If you believe they should keep playing, hold up your Julian Green. Let's test it, let's test it. Clint Mathis. David. He's phenomenal. Did you see his goal against Korea? <laughs> okay. Here we go. We begin. Tim Howard. Guys, explain. Discuss. I just say Tim, Tim Howard. Tim, the only U.S. player alive the last time the U.S. did not qualify for the World Cup. Explain yourselves. <laughs> we have to explain. He, he's, he's not going to be around for the next World Cup. Uh, I don't think there is any explanation needed on that one. Let me ask you, how do we not find a new first-string goalkeeper for this cycle? Ethan Horvath, Bill Hamid, <laughs> Stefan Fry, David. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, we did not qualify for the World Cup because of Tim Howard. I mean, or, Not the question. How do we not find a new first-string goalkeeper <laughs> for this cycle? I don't know. I don't know. How, 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 I thought we were just putting these things up. Alex, how was how, how Brad and, and Casey when they retired? I mean, it's always a position that the older you get, goalkeepers still say relatively sharp, and it's never been an issue with the U.S. It's been one of the most, it's been one of the best positions they've had. I just think it's letting in goals. I don't care how old you are. If you're letting in goals, I don't want you there. Walter Barr, take that. Okay, next. Clint Dempsey. Oh! oh. Her, her green. 34, 157 caps, 872 goals. <laughs> well, I'm checking that with Paul Carr. Guys, speak. Go for it. 
Listen, I would hate to see one of the two best players to ever play the game not have his his own send-off. So if you're telling me today does he deserve one more game, I'm saying Clint Dempsey absolutely deserves one more game. And that game will be the 2022 World Cup Final. <laughs> Are you not giving him his opportunity to break that record? Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> You've got 99 caps and you know what? <laughs> get, off, get off my lawn! We can fet him, we can have uh, you know, these types of things, we can give him <laughs> trophies. I don't give a shit. I don't care. No, it's, that cheapens a national team appearance. No, I don't want to do that. When it happened for Landon, I didn't like it. When it happens for anybody, I don't like it. No, I don't want, I, I have whatever I have not. I don't, I don't, no, 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 no. Can I just say, to me, he's the greatest maverick the United States has ever produced. I believe he will play in the next World Cup. He's like the Marshawn Lynch of American soccer. <laughs> By the way, yeah. the next time we do this, I'm going to call it, we could have one of these kind of things. Whatever this is, we're going to do that. Okay, next. Michael Bradley. 30 years old, 140. <laughs> okay, her green, yes. Alexi Lalas, red. No. The case for the defense. Hercules Gomez. He's, he's arguably one of the best center midfielders this country's ever produced. He's played in multiple European countries. He's only, he's only 30 years old, and the next generation coming through, they have to be groomed. If you're telling me they can't learn something from one of the best center midfielders ever played the game for the United States and his national team, I'm calling bullshit. The case for the prosecution, Mr. Lattice. All right, shh. Come here. I'm going to tell you a secret. When you start playing international soccer, it's not as if they give you this magic key or this kind of passcode that unlocks all the mysteries of what the game is when it's played at the quote-unquote international level, all right? Michael Bradley has been wonderful. At times, he's been world-class. I have supported him probably more than he should be supported, but it's done. His time has come and gone, and I want somebody new. And that he could impart knowledge and information, this, this is, I, I, I get it, and maybe it's just me, but I never really learned anything from the older guys, okay? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I used to roll my eyes and go other places and talk about them, okay? So. Who were the older guys when you were playing? <laughs> you took him out there, Jesus? Jesus? <laughs> I, I, all I'll say about Michael, Michael Bradley is a phenomenal footballer who is mortal. He's not a demigod. And he's bald. I know. That's why I, I'll be honest, I'm completely biased. He's a power bald. And I love him when he's like the Scotty Pippen, not the Michael Jordan. When he's the number two and he knows what his role is, he's phenomenal. When we say he's going to save the day, 20 synapses and feels lesser, not more, but I please God he will play again for us. Which leads us to our next gentleman, David. Tension bed. Who's it going to be? Carl Beckerman? Josie Altador. Unexpectedly great game. Oh my God. Can I just repeat for pod listeners, what's happened here, David? There is uh, Hercules Gomez Esquire is the case for the defence holding up green and seems to be a pattern here. Alexi Lalas uh, Esquire, red for the prosecution. Should never play again. Mr Hercules Gomez, the floor is yours. 
I've been accused of being a player apologist, and this is the thing. When you look at Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley, I firmly believe these two players have been labeled as these symbols of the deception and failure that has been the U.S. men's national team this go around because there were two players that were playing in Europe and in many people's eyes sold out to come to play in the MLS that they left the possibilities of being better players behind for the money. So right now, they are the symbol of everything that is wrong with the American player. That said, Josie Alter is 28 years old. He is the number three leading goal scorer in the history of the U.S. men's national team at 28 years old. If you're telling me Josie Alger can't help you get to the World Cup, I'm not saying he's going to be playing at the next World Cup, but if you're telling me he can't help you get to the World Cup because you still need to qualify, I, I don't know what game we're looking at. Mr. Lallis. Uh, I'm going to quote myself. Uh, if, this is as, if this is as good as it gets, it's still not good enough. So um, he's been... The, the whole thing, you guys say uh, servants, right? You use the, the, the whole the servants. Look the, at Dave. I was, okay, right. I was downstairs. Dave was upstairs. Right. Servants. That almost seems strange to me, but he's been a wonderful servant to the national team, to the country, and what he has done. But his time, in the same way that Michael Bradley has come to pass. Can I just, that is not the same way I feel about Rog, just for the record. Can, can I say one thing about Josie? We had a gentleman who was derided when we failed in the World Cup in 1998. His name was David Beckham. He kicked Diego Simeone. He was derided by English football fans because the England lost to Argentina because he was sent off. And that gentleman, that gentleman was, effigies were burnt of him at games when he played. And he doubled down, he worked harder, and United won the treble. And I do feel with Josie, it all depends on how he responds to this dark moment, whether he toughens up. Well, I mean, you watch him show the fight in the tunnel in Toronto at the weekend that we lacked in Trinidad. The question for Josie, is this actually the wake-up call for him or not? I need to ask you, which of the following spark plugs, young players, would you have liked to have seen on the field at TNT? Weston McKenney, Matt Miazga, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Lyndon Gooch, Tyler Adams of the Red Bulls. Is there anyone you would have liked to have seen? Tyler Adams for me. I, his kids, he's 18 years old, and, and when I watch New York Red Bulls play in a, in a final versus Kansas City, Nova Cup final, I didn't see Sasha Kleshton sticking out his chest and being there for his team. I didn't see Bradley Wright Phillips saying, I'm the leading goal scorer of this team, I'm the best on this team. I saw a Tyler Adams, who's 18 years old, the only one in that roster who really wanted it. So for me, it's a Tyler Adams. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all hindsight. I wouldn't have changed necessarily the, 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 the personnel there. Uh, I'm okay with what it is. Ultimately, it didn't work. But whether it's Tyler Adams or Weston McKinney, it's easy to do that now. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see them. But this is all about going forward. So there's a pattern emerging that I don't want anybody that was involved in the past to be involved going forward. I think it's pretty evident to everybody out there that's, that's watching that because I, I think they are tainted with the stench of failure. And I, Just to clarify, Christian Pulisic would still have a place in the squad. So for this game coming up, oh, no. Yeah. 
Uh, and, he's, and he doesn't, yeah. but eventually, yeah. But I want him coming into a situation, and uh, don't worry, yeah. It's, no, no. I know, because you can have some there's extreme a, views for entertainment purposes. <laughs> when you're not being authentic, I just was protecting you from yourself a Got little it, bit. Got it, thank you. I, I need all the protection I can get. Yeah, that's true. So essentially, just to recap for Alexi, Christian Pulisic will play going forward. He's on probation. After a while. After, after a suitable punishment but he period. he will integrate back into a core and a team that has been built anew. Around Demarcus Beasley. <laughs> <laughs> David, let's talk about the system. Okay, chapter the third, the system. Yes, the system. <laughs> it has produced the players we've just spoken about which is, see, the way we're connecting your player argument into the entire system that supports it. I know you're pro, uh, pro rel. I know you're pro it, Alexi, really underneath. This is, you're going to reveal it tonight. Uh, as well as our youth teams, which have failed to qualify for two consecutive Olympic tournaments. The system. Here's what I want, though. The journalist Brian Scaretta went through Youth World Cups going back to 2007. And he noted that only DeAndre Yedlin and Bobby Wood have come through the ranks in that time, which is quite astonishing. Here's what I want to ask you. How the brick shades does this happen? <laughs> Are we targeting the wrong players, scouting them, developing the wrong players? Herc. I know we, we've, we've talked about it. This is such a big country. It's, it's impossible. There are going to be players who fall through the cracks. What qualifies falling through the cracks? You know, does it mean you get recognized late? Does it mean you get not get recognized at all? Does it mean your style or brand of football or soccer is not what is valued in this country or for that coach? There's so many different things. But you look at this U17 national team that competed in India, and there were some strong glimpses of them being a very good team. But on this team, in the Western United States, there was only one player from Utah. So the hotbeds that are California, that are Washington, New Mexico, Arizona, you know, Colorado, all these soccer hotbeds in this country, for whatever reason, weren't valued today. I played in Mexico many years, and every club I was at, and I was probably at all 18 of them, every club I was at, there would, there would be so many kids coming up through the ranks that were born in the States and came over, and their game or their style wasn't valued. It's such a big country, it's an impossible task, I understand. And one time you and I worked together at Fox Copa America and you had this statement about how sometimes you wish everybody, every soccer player in this country's train of thought and style of play was the same so they'd be easier to coach. And I remember I told you, well, that's not what Man City or these English teams do, and they seem to work it out. I actually remember watching you two have this debate on television. Right, and it was, it, it, but... And Fernando Fiore put the funny hat. So, <laughs> in that moment, I, was, I wasn't in agreement with Alexi because I, I wanted to celebrate the diversity in this country, but we have to be in alignment with what we value going forward as far as coaching, education, and scouting in order for us to get the best out of these. That's such a loaded question for me. All right, so first, uh, being in agreement, once again, this goes back to what I said earlier, being in agreement and valuing and, and celebrating the diversity of our, of our country as a country is, is beyond debate, all right? So we agree with that. I think everybody here agrees. Well, I don't know if everybody agrees, but I'm saying that, I, in my opinion, it's what makes our country great. Uh, but once again, what makes our country great can pose challenges to actually building a soccer team. And so there is, there is a notion that 
if we built a soccer team simply from Southern California, a national team from simply from Southern California, that it would be more competitive than what we have. And by the way, this has nothing to do necessarily with ethnicity uh, or background. Sometimes it has to do just with geography. Everybody growing up in the same area, playing the same way, thinking about the same way, the, the weather, all of, those, all, of those different, all of those different things. So that's, that's really where I was coming from in having an understanding that while there might be a good player from Boise or wherever, the quickest path, and maybe we don't want to take the quickest path, but maybe the quickest path is having an understanding that we need to go about having a collective agreement and understanding of this is how we are going to play. And once again, in doing that, and I know this scares the bejesus out of everybody, there are going to be players that don't fit into that. But for me, that's okay. Because once again, we try to fit everything in. And at times that takes up valuable time and resources that could be spent other ways. I'm going to mention raw materials, Alexi, because I did the study of the US World Cup squads before the last tournament that we qualified for. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. But I compared the socioeconomic makeup of the NBA, the NFL All-Star teams, which are the closest thing to a national team that we have in those sports, and US Soccer's National World Cup squad. And it was shocking because the results the US internationals were whiter, more suburban, much more affluent, higher educated than their counterparts. The parents will be very elated to hear that. But great football, it's born of working class hunger. I mean, you can name the number of great World Cup middle class footballers on your two hands. It's like Perlo, Kaka. What? Kaka, is that what you just said? Middle class footballer. Not very good at Orlando City, which Kaka. got your reaction. Kaka. But I, I mean, you can name, you can Frank Lampard, the son of a, another footballer who went, you can name these footballers. I was middle class, not a very good footballer. <laughs> and I can tell you, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. I mean, how do you understand that? I mean, what, what do we, do, do you think it's a good thing? Is it something that, I didn't learn this or understand this until, uh, until I lived abroad, played abroad, but it's comfort over necessity. Um, I would go to a different team and I would have to prove myself within this team and some of my teammates and they, they wouldn't share the ball with me, they wouldn't talk to me because I was taking food off their plate or their friends' plates. Uh, I, there was a situation where I was in Santos and we had a player who came in, he was, the team ended up, I would say, stealing him. Um, they bought him from a team that was interested, Lazio was interested in him. He comes over to Santos and plays with us. This 18, I believe he's 18 or 19 year old player, brings about 12 of his family members over from Colombia. He is now the head of the household for, these, for this family. So at training, I, this kid had like a knife between his, between his teeth. You know, it was every ball so was you're saying in die. Mexico, it was do or die. America, I'm saying, I'm comfort saying as opposed to we Latin have to American, do this or The Latin nothing. American game that I was, that I was, a, or that I was uh, exposed to in the professional side, uh, there wasn't a high education between these players. These players were all of a sudden uh, in charge of the well-being for their family members. So when they got on the field, it meant something to them. Every ball, even within their teammates, every play meant something. When I'm in MLS, at times, it doesn't mean anything to a player who's 22, 23 years old getting his first taste of soccer, who has a financial degree or a banking degree, who in midweek is playing beer pong at his local bar. It's, it's a different meaning of what the game means to them. It's the also stakes. cultural. The, the, yes, stakes the stakes are, are higher. higher. If we lose, we can still become accountants 
or day traders. But in Mexico, it's do or die. And in not only Mexico, I would say the rest of the world, the way they value the game, it is do or die. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a white male, uh, heterosexual, uh, born in suburban. <laughs> born in suburban. Alexis uh, White suburban, was here tonight, right? Um, college. He's not talking about himself. College educated, so. Would you like? Would you still like me to have my head, Ginger? Yes. Would you still like to have my opinion? You're, you're a minority, Ginger. Ginger minority. No, but but it, but it's important. So I I can't claim to have experienced or understand what some of these players that we're talking about have gone through. Okay. I can only tell you from my experience, and I think we can all agree that the more players playing soccer. From regardless of what their background is, the better off soccer is going to be, and the more competition that you're going to have. I can, but saying somebody like, I don't know, for example, Joe Max Moore. I know you love Joe Max Moore. Joe right? Max Less. <laughs> One of the most competitive players that I have ever. Agreed. Not just players, human beings could, that I have ever come across. Could not lose a game of soccer tennis. So I'll tell a real quick story. So, yes, exactly. So, in the 1994 World Cup, uh, Joe Max Moore was on the, really on the fringe of making it. And I'll never Timor forget. Akers. Yes. And, <laughs> and I remember Bora Milutinovic telling me that um, he decided to take Joe Max Moore to the 1994 World Cup simply off a game of soccer tennis because. They played a game of soccer tennis right before he was going to make final cuts. And Joe Max Moore, who was not going to start, but he had this mentality that he did not want to lose at anything. And he said, I, I can't not take a guy like that. Now, Joe Max Moore's background is not like the thing that the, the traditional, the traditional, yeah, the traditional type of background that we're talking about. So, it, it doesn't mean that just because you have a non-traditional, in terms of the bigger soccer sense uh, background, that you can't be successful. But I completely agree that having more people playing the game and having, and having more people exposed to the game is ultimately going to make us better and is going to increase competition. Because while I might have been competing against Joe Maxwell or anybody else, if, if there's another 10 or 20 players that are fighting for it and don't have Joe Max's background or my background or everybody else's background, that I think would, would help. But these are not questions or these are not situations that, that anybody that is involved in US soccer or in soccer in general in the United States hasn't thought about. So how do we fix them? What are the solutions? We need more Tulsa oil money as David. Let's talk about quickly pay to play. Yeah, so pay to play. America's big. John Johnson, GFAP. An hour in, man, oh man. It's a screw top, my favorite. I love a screw top. So we talk about pay to play. America's a big country, high cost of travel around the country. Soccer does not pay for itself. But why is soccer so much more expensive in America than in other parts of the world? I mean, you yourself said that like money has been thrown at these players. Why is there so much money? That's a very good question. <laughs> For those listening on the pod, um, he dropped a, a note. He's picked it up. Yeah. We're back in. The note says, What's play note Jermaine say? Jones at central defensive midfield. Everything will be okay. Came too late for us. Go on, Nate. 
pay to play? Is that what we're talking yeah, about? No, no, no. Cost. Why it's... is it so expensive? American soccer is so expensive. Because people want to get paid for doing a job. Well, Teaching you soccer. Doing whatever the hell they want to do. They want to get paid. Expen- why is it more expensive than other parts of the world? Like because of the amount of money that other, they don't have uh, other play leagues... question in Argentina. They're not like, pay to play is the question. Brazil, pay to play. England, pay to play. Spain, pay to play. Why is that well, question? We're the, we're the only country that charges our kids to play. In other countries... If they make an investment in you, they will pay for you to come in. They will train you with the, with the idea of molding and forming you and then you being sold to a different club and then having training compensation. We don't have those type but of We have it in the, in the NBA basketball. We have a network of self-motivated coaches to scour playgrounds, high school gyms. We're all looking for that, the next god, Shamba god. That's a more cultural sport. Yeah, but also there's a profit there. And in America, where they say, you know, the reality is Western McKinney, developed by Dallas, Goes off to sign to a Schalke. Dallas get no money whatsoever. There's no central wow. profit the motive. The Funes Mori brothers, one of them plays for Everton. And he was the, the wrong Funes Mori play, brother plays for Everton, sadly. <laughs> uh, but the reality is we, thing, right? we, we lack a profit motive. And we, in youth development, is that what you're saying? We lack a profit mo- uh, not, motive. Not only a profit. Southampton but, but have but made $90 million from their players. Listen, that I, I couldn't begin to tell you the, the cultural makeup or the... Sociolo- sociological makeup of, of, of the people in this country, but it, it's a very expensive sport. I, I couldn't afford a plate. I was fortunate that I had somebody in my team. Uh, his dad paid for me and two other Latino players on the team to play for our club team, Las Vegas. If it wasn't for that, I don't know what would have happened. I wasn't as fortunate. So how can we correct U.S. soccer's inability to scout the Latino community in the United States? How much more time do we have? (laughs) It's so different because Alexi just touched upon this. Um, What do you value if you're scouting, if you're coaching? What's the direction you want to go in? A lot of these players, there's a Alianza does a tournament and all 18 Mexican first division clubs and every second division club within within the Mexican Republic comes over and sends scouts and has these players. When I was playing for Cholos of Tijuana, I would see these kids on a weekly basis and they would be touring the facilities and these kids who are 12, 13 years old have a decision to make. This is one of seven clubs they're visiting that's gonna help and shape and probably mold the next decade of their life. So I, I don't know, it, do you value the game a little more? Do you recognize that this type of player can help you going forward? Uh, those are questions that have yet to be, remain to be answered and I don't know if we actually can. I mean, kids like Jonathan Gonzalez, 18-year-old midfield sensation from Santa Rosa, California, lighting up Liga MX with Monterrey. The Mexican coach, Juan Carlos Osorio, remarkable man, came on our pod and told us he knows and speaks to every single dual national on a regular basis. Why are the Mexican national team able to track them and we're not? It's a very good question. I don't think it's just that they're available to track, uh, available to track them or available. They see the value in them. When I was at Pachuca, Jesus Martinez, the owner and president of Pachuca, talked about putting an academy within Las Vegas, my hometown, because he saw the potential in the Chicano athlete. I was always told mentally they're different. You have that American spirit about you, but you have the technical capabilities of these Mexican players that we want. It's the I firmly believe the Chicano athlete is going gonna, is gonna to shape or mold or some way affect um, the, Mexi- the Mexican-U.S. men's national team rivalry going forward. You see more of these players sprouting up. Okay. Um, not just be made of the current financial 
surplus. We spoke about it in the green room before, Alexei, of US soccer. It's been reported to be between 100 and 140 million. I think you gave me. Let's do 150. I mean, yeah, I think you said that number. Nice, a portion obviously number. has to be held in reserve. But what would you like to see that spent on? <laughs> Besides Chardonnay? It is actually Pinot Grigio. Wait, I just want to make it's that It's Pinot. Pinot. Obviously. Obviously it's Pinot. My unrefined palate. Let's add that to the list. Yeah. Uh, so, is that Idaho? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tastes so good. Uh, so what, what, I, what would I like to see it be spent on? Yeah. Okay, so if you, if you talk about pay to play, yeah. it is, it would, if you were to take that $150 million, yeah. so first off you have to define what pay to play is. Uh, would I or anybody in this room love to, the, the fact that um, every man, woman, and child that wants to play soccer can do it for free? Yeah, it's not going to happen. We all understand that's not going to happen. So where, where is that cutoff when people don't, and because people pay for sports in the United States, and by the way, people pay for sports other countries around the world. Now, it's different because of the, the TV contracts and because of the leagues and, and the federations that exist around, and the fact that soccer is king in, in other places. But when we come to put, where are we going to put this $150 million? I, I think it has to be in coaching. I don't necessarily, it needs to, uh, necessarily think it has to be in pay to play. Uh, when you look at the academy program, when you look at uh, you know, other uh, situations that involve teams and players and paying for it, yeah, look, I would, I would love everybody, as I said before, to be able to play for free. But right now, I think the coaching part of it is as important, if not more important, than the actual development of the players and giving players uh, opportunity. Well, that is a development right there. No, it, it, it is, but in this, in this world where we say, well, everyone is slipping through the cracks. And I know the other day I put out a tweet. I said, give me a name of somebody that slipped through the cracks. And everyone said, well, if you slip through the cracks, you can't possibly see it. But everybody talks about the fact that we are losing this massive amount of talent, and it's slipping through the cracks. Okay, fine, then you should be able to name some players that, for whatever reason, it might be completely legitimate and fair reasons. They didn't have the, they didn't have the money, uh, they didn't have the resources, they didn't have whatever it ended, ended up being. But it was amazing to, to me, when I put that out, to see people come back and say, Breck Shea slipped to the cracks. What, what, what? no! It was no, a huge crack. crack. <laughs> no, no, not, crack. Not with those Aladdin pants, he wouldn't slip. Come on, I mean, you, I think that the amount of talent that ultimately is, talent that is playing, not talent that's not playing, because as I said before, I want lots of people to play, and the more people to play, the better off we'll be. But the amount of talent right now that ultimately is slipping through the cracks, I think is less than people are making it out to be right uh, now. I mean, when you ask who's slipping through the cracks, the reality is, that's people who are not scouted, not on our radar. By definition, they should not be answering you in any way, shape. The right answer to the question is no answer. We don't know who's slipping through the cracks right now systemically. So, I, so how, how do we know they're slipping through the cracks? Because I've never pulled well, on right. the US jersey yet. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what, about, what about the other, what about the other end, end of that spectrum? What about the coaches who are slipping Thank through you. the cracks? And I will say this, who aren't getting the chance to develop these players, or some coaches who aren't qualified enough, but for whatever reason are getting the opportunities, aren't getting paid to develop these players. That's the other end of that. I mean, I think that's it. We don't have a youth, you could say we don't have a youth development problem. We do have a coaching one. I mean, 
We don't have a, U a US coaching tradition. In Spain, when you go there, you will meet coaches who are proud at the under 11 age of coaching Xavi, of Iniesta, and they've stayed at the under 11 age. Good coaches here get quickly pulled up to the adult professional game at the youth level. I want to ask you... But would they be proud if they weren't paid? How badly are we... By the way, that's a practical question. No, they gotta, be, they gotta be paid. My question is how badly are we lacking because of that at the youth level in terms of the standard of the coaching in this United States? I would say that's one of the main reasons. And I don't wanna pick on a guy like John Hackworth, for example, but John Hackworth has been coaching in the youth national team program for well over a decade. And it's the same results, but it's these coaches who are recycled back in. It's the same deck of cards, same deck of coaches being recycled, so you're getting the same results. If we think we're going to change things by doing the same things going forward, that's insanity. So, so what remains? What I mean, because so, everyone says change, we want change. So well, that, what that's remains? That's the thing, Alexi. I'm with you. I, I don't know. There's not enough answers. There's a lot of people saying they have the answers, but nobody's actually showing you or doing it. That's why I think this new change in leadership is a good thing. Because for the first time in a long time, we can hold people accountable. You said this. So going forward, I want to see that. Well, and also on this stage in January, February, we're going to be awesome. Define what change is. There we go. Can <laughs> I ask you a quick question before we wrap? Yeah. If you had to give advice to a young 17-year-old American player, a real talent, a real talent, on what they should do right now to become the best player they can, the best player they can for themselves, for their career, for their family, what would it be, both of you? Go ahead, I want to hear this one, Lexi, that's you. Keep your German passport. If your only goal is to play in Europe, then there are flights leaving every hour on the hour from JFK and LAX, okay? But going to Europe and actually getting at a, to a place where um, you're comfortable in that the coach respects you, that you are able to function on the field in and in training in terms of players actually passing the ball to you even though you're American, that you're able to function off the field in that other 22 and a half hours that we often forget both the language and the culture and the assimilation that needs to, take, uh, to have taken place, that you are paid, that's a whole other thing. And that's a different airport, okay? <laughs> that, is something, that is something different. Uh, so I would give the advice as, you know, where are you going? And what are you doing? And is it good? Christian Pulisic went to the perfect place at the perfect time. And a lot of, a lot of about a career isn't necessarily how talented you are. Everybody's talented to a certain extent, and yes, there's variations, but ultimately it's about timing and having a moment when you grab a hold of an opportunity or somebody sees you or you, you open this door and you didn't open this door, and that's, that's okay, that's a, that's a good thing. There's, there's no way to mitigate for that. That just, that just kind of happens. So I would have to say, where are you going? Is that the best path for you in that you are going to play soccer? I truly believe that you can be playing soccer at Dortmund, at Panathinaikos in, in yes. Greece, <laughs> at Everton in the, in, in the championship, oh. 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 or get off the 
my lord! Alexi, Alexi, just pat him on the head a little bit as you say that. Or, or in any MLS team, and you can, and you can star in the World Cup because that's how we, that's how we qualify this as well. He's playing here. Can he actually do it at the at the uh, international level? So there, there is no right path. Whether it's college, whether it's developmental academy, whether it's going overseas early, whether it's bypassing college, all that. There is no right path. There are so many different paths for, for athletes, and I can't tell you what the right one is. I can only help steer you and say, why, is th why do you think that this is the right path? This is what I've learned in the past. Herc, I'm Josh Sargent. What, am, what do you say to Josh Sargent? Be, be relentless. No is not an option. It, 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 yeah. Listen, what are the best things? I, I was fortunate enough to play with with veterans like Alexi when I was 19. Alexi, how old were you? 42, one of the galaxy? Hey, Gomez has always got my back. No, but in all seriousness, these guys are, are an asset, they're a resource. Be relentless, no is not an option. You know, try to learn as much, soak up as much as possible. He's in a different culture now. He's ahead of the curve. Use it to your best of your ability. So look, we, yeah. we, we, we've cut a lot of the show. You can see it all on the floor on my feet. But we've got to talk, I feel people will be very angry with us if we don't talk about MLS. Yes. MLS, I just want to say, I want to say from my point of view, the suggestion that MLS is to blame for anything that's happened to this US men's national team failure to qualify, I find ridiculous. I don't understand those arguments. Well, there's but, a lot of people that disagree with that. A lot of people By the way, just, just to make a case, MLS is actually, if you go to Honduras, as I did, and ask them, like, how do you feel about America coming? Do you want to beat evil Satan, Big Sam? And they're like, no, we want to thank you because you, with our coaching and our players, have actually made us far more competitive. If anything has made, if anything has made CONCACAF more competitive, it's MLS. it's MLS. Everywhere apart from the United States, David. <laughs> However, there are a lot of people who love MLS who do Me? feel Amongst that the us. lack of what they believe to be cutthroat competition, which for them, is displayed by the lack of pro rel, lack of promotion relegation. They do feel, this is important to a lot of American soccer fans, they feel that that in some way is contributing to problems Because players are not US playing soccer. in pressure games where everything means something for them. I understand games, you wanting to have games mean something. Let me ask you guys this, you guys are two, you know, British Bull guys. Yeah. <laughs> How much, what percentage of of fault did the Premier League have in the English not being such a good team, you know, back a decade ago, 15 years ago? Now. Well, now it's getting a little better. <laughs> what, what did promotion and relegation have? No, no, we're talking what, about the league. To the league. I, mean, I, I think I, it's Don Gober's fault. <laughs> Look, I have, a, I have a view about this. So I think that the lack of chances that English players are getting to play in the Premier League is because the English oh, players go. aren't good enough to play for those Premier League teams. And I passionately, believe, not in a free, I passionately believe in a free market. And therefore, if they're not good enough to go and play for their clubs, they're not good enough to go and, and get those jobs. I don't think we should be easing in, nor do I think we should ever do this in America, me, is, to, is to fast track players and make MLS teams pick US players. But so they let me, let me tell you what to, be, to be candid, the English Football League, the biggest problem for me, Davos hit one. The second thing is we don't go beyond England as English people. We stay in our, we, MLS players love MLS. They don't love to go beyond. I remember being in Israel when I was 17 on a kibbutz and all the Americans had toilet paper shipped to them in like bulk. And I was like, what the f are you doing? And they'd be like, it's three ply toilet paper. I'd be like, why do you need it? And they're like, Israel, it's one ply. 
And I'd be like, mate, your bottom will be okay, I'll adjust. They're so like, no, we need home. And Americans, they love home. Jordan Morris loves home. We love home. We love the security, the safety. You were talking about comfort over necessity. I am. And English players, ultimately, we, uh, Ian Rush went to Juventus. He failed after scoring lots at Liverpool. They said, what was wrong? And he said, being in Italy. <laughs> he said, it was like being in a foreign country. <laughs> but pro-rel, Alexi. I mean, I think we know your views on pro-rel, but... I think you, it would be nice to explain to a lot of people, I'm sure there are people in this crowd who are passionate advocates of promotion and relegation. Ex explain your point the of view. Pressure, would you... the pressure of promotion and relegation develop American players who yes. are more able to deliver in the moment of anxiety? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. When it comes to promotion and relegation, as I've said, Time and time again, I have no problem with promotion relegation. I, I love promotion relegation. I was involved in a, in, in, a, in a relegation battle many, many years ago when I was playing over in Europe. So, so I, I Padova. Many, many years ago, yeah. What was the name of that team? Uh, Padova. I'm the only person in America who remembers it. it. It was a very small they were little... briefly in Syria but, when they signed But I don't need promotion relegation in order to enjoy my soccer. And... I'm not willing to mandate it and force it on others that over the last 22 years, when it comes to MLS, have built something, which is why I often say, as you know, build a better mousetrap. There we go. And let the customer decide, let the market decide. I but for the players, I understand. And by the way, I agree okay, with so you. I agree with you. If I'm an owner who's investor, pro rep, that's a different question. I understand right. it. I'm talking purely from a player perspective. In moments of anxiety, like in Trinidad and Tobago, when you are down and you need a goal, you've had a punch in the face, can you rebound? If you played for Sunderland, if you played for Hull, if you played for West Brom. Well, Josie did play yeah, for Josie Sunderland. did, so he's experienced that, and he was in that moment. You know, <laughs> he should have understood the consequences. <laughs> I don't think you need to be day in and day out in an environment of promotion relegation in order to understand the significance, in order to give your 100% or whatever you, whatever you want to call it. I don't think so you need to. Okay, we're gonna skip the Fernando Fiore segment. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna skip that. We're gonna skip that. What do you want to go to, Rog? Where do you want to go? I want okay. to go to the question about positive. I want to end on the positive note, okay, David. Go, Ask, no, no, no. I like you. Ask, this has been a fascinating night. Part week. <laughs> Look, you annoyed because we had we didn't have Shaw tonight. We had Megan. We had Megan Rapino. By the way, are, are you and I, are you and I walking after this? Okay, we're going to the bar after this, right? Dave, ask the closing question. Okay, the closing Sponsored question. Sponsored by Guinness because I've run out of it. I'm really you are all you are all younger men than I am. I want to ask each of you. And I'm going to start with you, Hercules. Oh. Do you believe that the U.S. will win the World Cup in your lifetime? Well, I'm a lot younger than you guys, so yes. <laughs> How many years younger than Alexi are you? Do you I messed up. Do you want to go there? I messed up the hundred percent thing there. No, I know. So. You're not good with numbers. I am forty-seven years old. What are you? Thirty-five. Thirty-five. Okay, so twelve years. So basically, you've you've, you've got twelve less years. Yeah. One assumes. Do, do you seriously believe that now, after what time? Do you? Has this Wait, shaped? Can, I, can you? I answer the question as to why? Can I? Yeah. 
I've always said the one great thing we are in this country is a melting pot of so many different diverse cultures that are so great. And you think about the greatest countries all over the world in this, in this sport. We've got all of them. Why can't we assemble an all-star team if we're, if we're coached well, if we have belief, if we've got the right process, the right group? This could absolutely happen. And why can't it be 2026? Yeah, 2022. Alexi. Uh, yes, uh, I have believed this in previous World Cups, and I continue to believe that whether it's whether it was twenty, whether it's twenty twenty two, whether it's twenty twenty six and twenty twenty two, we could win the World Cup. I mean, the, the, look, everyone. Have you gone into previous World Cups actually really believing, not just hoping? Yes. There's a difference between faith and, and belief. It's, that really it's believing. A it's not a blind faith. Okay, things things happen. Okay, and so whether it's. The 1980 ice hockey team or anything like that, everyone says it's impossible until it actually happens. And guess what? It wasn't impossible. Mm -hmm. It happened. You need, you need luck. Yeah. All right? You need the soccer gods to shine upon you. Oh. You need a good draw. You need all those different things. But yeah. the, the history that we have, the talent that we have, and once again, I, know, I don't know where Claudio Reyna is out there. He might be here too. Uh, but I know he talks about the hubris uh, and the lack of humility and the arrogance that exists in U.S. soccer. I look at arrogance, and I've said this before, I look at arrogance as something to be harnessed. It's enabled me to be successful, and guess what? It's enabled everybody on this stage and many of you out there to be successful, all right? Yep. It has to be harnessed, and it has to be recognized, and it has to be respected, but when it is, it means that individually, and more importantly, collectively, we can do anything, all right? And so that's, that's always been my belief, all right? And as, as, as difficult, and as sad uh, and as depressing as this moment may be, 31 days out, we will rise again. We will not only rise, but we will rise and become better, and it will be fucking awesome. Yeah. Rog, I'm on, I'm on tenterhooks, because I really don't know how you're gonna answer this question. Will the US win the World Cup in your lifetime? Yeah. A hundred percent. We have two requirements. Number one, we stop playing games on being sports. And number two, I'm going to cryogenically freeze myself like Ted Williams. And those years are frozen. I do want to ask you, Alexi, has this to me, my core belief was that the rise of this sport in America was inexorable. Since, honestly, since we both moved here before the 94 World Cup, we've watched this game rise World Cup to World Cup. We're going to live a World Cup without the US in it. I still am bullish. Frighteningly, that the US's favorite soccer players, Messi and Ronaldo, are still going to play in this World Cup. Not being funny, they trapped the biggest. I still believe Messi, Ronaldo, Fernando Fiore, still going to be a big World Cup. But the rise... <laughs> Are you laughing at Ronaldo? He's a good player. He's a good player. So I just want to know, has it shaken anything in your... Because I am bullish. I believe. I have the fever. I absolutely believe. Has it shaken anything in your belief? Either of you, absolutely. And I don't mean this flippantly like... A final question before you go out, we go to the bar. But has it given you pause for thought about anything that we believed about the game in the US, in the US and the it's, rise? 
It's made me question everything. I think before this Trinidad game, I know we get hung up on the Trinidad game, but that's, that's the camel that broke the straw's back. Uh, I w- <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Fuck you, camel. Perfect, there we go. 80%, 10%. That's Wait, how what? It works. That's the straw that broke the camel. Even us, even us as media, the way we would cover it, uh, for me, has changed. I am, I am much less uh, interested in what, and I say this with all due respect, that the players or the fans think, but what it is just. So it's made me reevaluate everything with the game. So you, you're less interested in what the media and the fans think, but... Correct. I think well, there. You want to call it like you see it. Correct. Absolutely. Correct. And you felt pressure at some point to respond. No, I didn't feel pressure. I, I just, like you, I was a fan myself. So you would get taken by the emotion. Love you, heart. Dude loves you. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I love you. What's not to love? Look at this guy. It's awesome. But can I tell a real quick story about her? Yeah. Oh God. <clears throat> so I was I was uh, involved with the Los Angeles Galaxy a long, long time ago, and um, I, I had to trade uh, and cut players over the years, and. Uh, it's a lot of them. I did a lot of this cutting and trading. Tried to and cut David never, Beckham. Never in my time. <laughs> oh. right. Hercules Gomez was the classiest and the most mature player I have ever dealt with when trading him. To your uh, face. No, to, to my face. I mean, but he he came in and he was a, he was the most incredible pro. So much so that I thought he was. Fucking with me. I thought he was then going to take a swing at me. But the way that he handled it, and it says a lot about him as a player, but more importantly, it says a lot about him uh, as a person. Alexi, He's gone on to do wonderful things Alex, in television. Alex, so. Alexi traded him to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Alexi, you had to shake it I had to add a special place in, in my heart for Alexi. My grandfather gave me this jersey of Alexi, so I have a special place. <laughs> All right. I was it, four years old when he gave it to me. Has it shaken my... my Hercules Gomez's grandfather is born military. For a moment, has it shaken, has has it it shaken sh- your worldview or the way that you intend to cover this team, this sport moving forward? It hasn't shaken the way that I intend to cover it, but it, it is shaken. You tattooed millionaire. Exactly. It is, I'll be honest. It, it, it shook my... Uh, my belief and my constant belief, and maybe it's American exceptionalism, or whatever the hell it ends up being, it did shake it for a second. And then I said, you know what? I'm doubling down. I'm doubling down. And while this is not something that any of us the, wanted to have happen. The effect of it shaking it for right, one second made it even stronger. Exactly. That is the most exactly. American thing I've ever heard. Exactly. <laughs> So I said, I'm, I'm gonna use that, I'm gonna, come, I'm gonna come back stronger, I'm gonna double down into what we are on and off the field and what we can be. And by the way, that doesn't mean that we aren't flawed and it doesn't mean that we can't get better in a lot of the different things that we talked about over here. I'm not Pollyanna, I recognize that there's all sorts of stuff that we can get better. But ultimately, I think there is so much good out there and not just good in terms of these big things that we talk about, but good in terms of the people and the American soccer community out there that has just grown from being underground and kind of nerdy and whatever to being above ground and vibrant and educated and intelligent and discerning and awesome in everything that we do. And that is what is going to drive us on and off the field going forward. So Kick hard. Yeah. Kick hard. Can we just hear it before we send them off? 
I'm going to ask these two guys before they go off. Can you guys please, I beg you, if you've taken nothing seriously tonight, I beg you, and Davo joins me, right, Davo? I don't know what you're going to ask yet. <laughs> I'm going to beg you, play rock, paper, scissors to work out which one of you wants to become the next coach of the US men's national team and which one of you will settle... Does anybody have a butcher's knife? To be president. So winner is president and loser is coach? Always go with scissors. Um, Can we hear it loud and proud? Are we we doing it on three or or after three? So it's one, two... Oh, I love it. Now, much better idea. On three. So rock, paper, scissors. And on scissors we do it, right? We do scissors or we have to do you do one, two, three, then you go. So that's on four. four. On four. On four. You, you English are commonly known. We're doing it commonly. Don't ask me the question. Don't ask me the question. do you want to work out the rules? I'll do fuck, fight, or marry. Sunil Galati, Eric Winelda, Carl Martino. I produced a couple of American games. Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, no! You guys are fucked. I'm coaching your team. It's going to be awesome. You guys are even more fucked up president. Hercules Gomez, Alexi Lannis, thank you, show that I've ever not gone to the bathroom yeah, mid-stage. Hercules Gomez and Alexi Lalas! Sorry, manager and president! Okay, what fantastic chance. They're going to join us for a post-show drink. We've earned that. Rog, you need to go to the bathroom first. It will be just down the street at the Globe pub on 23rd Street between Lex and 3rd Avenue. And we've confirmed they will be showing Canada versus the World Cup champion US Women's National Team. A winning team. Okay. Do you feel better now, Rog, other than needing to go to the bathroom? Oh, I do, Dave. I do, I do, I do, a little bit. I've got to tell you, I have always believed that the rise of the game that we love in the country that we love was going to be slow and inexorable. And the US loss in Trinidad, it did, it shattered that core belief. I believe we're going to have a turbulent time ahead, a reckoning. But I do feel more resolute. I feel ready for that future, aware there's a way forward if we all step up and double down on our work. I believe! I feel like, Rog, I've been... I've spent a lot of time with you. Tunnel, that doesn't work right now. I've been very close to you, Rog, over the last 31 days. Yeah. Frankly, I've stayed close because I've been worried about what you were going to do if yeah. I left you, along, uh, left you alone too long. But I've seen you, 
You have definitely moved along the five stages of grief, many of them on this stage tonight, from depression, you're shuffling towards bargaining and acceptance. Back to depression again. But I have been telling myself every day that if Russia can win the 2016 US election, America can still win the 2018 Russia World Cup. We just, need, we just need Facebook's help. Come on, Justin. Come on, Come on Zuckerberg. But sorry, Rog, that KB5 wonder strike is going to have to wait four more years. Let's just focus on a US soccer presidential election. The debate for the US soccer presidential election, which is going to be amazing. A new manager, a new technical plan, scouting, coaching. And I've got to say the four magic words. Let's play the babies. Here's my learning from tonight. No more dreams. <laughs> Don't believe you. Yeah. From now on, I'm going to live my US soccer life by the words of great American, American-denying, quasi-German David Wagner. I'm going to believe in, not in dreams, but in... Wishes! David Wagner said to me, dreams are crap. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> you wake up, you didn't really know what happened, but in a vision, you have targets, you have ideas, you know how you reached your vision. So tonight, I leave this stage saying, the road to Qatar starts with visions. <laughs> it will be paved with visions. And tonight, no sleep till Doha. I love saying that. Makes me feel like Lawrence of Arabia. You're not going to sleep much when you're there. It's going to be so hot, Rog. Um, I think it's actually to Aqaba, Rog. Yeah, but whatever. Here's what I'd say. Let's dedicate ourselves here tonight to constructive, positive change, to finishing to scouting, to investing in young players who live the game in Texas, in California, in North Carolina, in Oregon, across this great nation. Everyone listening who plays this game, may you take the pain you're feeling, the doubt you momentarily experienced, the one second that Alexi felt that doubt. Use it as motivation, pour it into your game, work harder, reinforce your belief. Because despite last month, 31 days ago, the nightmare, the humiliation, let's raise our glass to believing in this country and this footballing culture as much as ever and say tonight, out of darkness will come the light. better way of capping this night than by singing the hymn which has brought football hope to so many fans in Liverpool, Dortmund, Celtic and beyond. To help us out we welcome to the stage Broadway's own, Broadway FC's own, John Hacker. When you walk through a storm, hold your head 
up high and don't be afraid of the dark at the end of a storm there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark walk on through the wind walk on through the rain though your dreams be tossed and blown walk on walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never